The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. to turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 5 as we continue in this series face-to-face with Jesus. Scripture convinces me that every one of us has a calling, a vocational niche to be used for God's purposes. And some of God's commands may seem odd, and we wonder how they fit with our vocational calling. But as I believe our passage will make clear to us that all of God's commands are relevant regardless of our calling, as we are called to do, be part of the great catch of God, whose intention is to bring and draw all peoples from every nation, tribe, tongue, to his very self. Please follow as I read Luke 5, 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked them to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who are partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, once again I would ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I've gotten to know our various missionaries over the years, it, uh, it strikes me over and over again how, how ordinary many of their lives are. You know, some people might imagine that missionaries spend the whole day evangelizing, teaching, translating the Bible into a foreign language. And certainly some days are like that, but many are not. Missionaries have to live, shop, eat, pay bills, teach their children, jump through hoops to satisfy government bureaucracy, just like we do every day. And there are those who would suggest that every believer in Christ is a missionary. 
I respectfully disagree. And some of it may depend upon how we define a missionary. As I define it, as a missionary is one who communicates the gospel across language and cultural barriers, largely to a people who are unreached, people who are not being reached by local believers from their own culture and language. I believe that we still need many, many missionaries in the world, but most of us are called to pray for them, to encourage them, to support them in their work. And even though we're not all called to be missionaries, we, all of us who trust in Christ for our salvation, are witnesses. We are called as eyewitnesses, as Jesus called his first disciples, witnesses of his majesty and glory, to testify to the world about his life, death, and resurrection. And though we were not with the original eyewitnesses, we too can testify to the truth of God's word and the power of our lives transformed by the gospel of God's grace. So we are all witnesses. We are all called to the path of discipleship. And so if we would be useful to God, if we would join him in his purpose and God's kingdom plan, we would follow where he leads us, far or near to help extend his kingdom to every corner of the globe. Our passage shows us the command of God, the catch of God, and the call of God to instruct us as his followers how we might take part in the grand drama of redemption. Our passage opens with the crowds pressing in around Jesus, seeking to hear the word of God by the Lake Gennesaret, which we also know as the Sea of Galilee. It was an ordinary day. The fishermen were washing their nets, part of the routine maintenance of their craft. Jesus seizes an available boat belonging to Simon, who we also know as Peter, and asked to be pushed off from shore and using the boat as a pulpit to preach to the crowds. And after he was finished, he focused in on Peter and made an object lesson of him, asking Peter to put out into the deep, to cast and his net to, draw, to lower into the waters. Of course, they had just finished washing the nets. Peter was not looking to do more work. And Peter offers a, a kind of mild protest. Of course, he's exhausted from toiling all night. He's perhaps experiencing a sense of futility, having caught nothing the night before perhaps feeling a bit slighted against his professional judgment. It was the heat of the day, the not the time you would normally seek to catch fish. But to his credit, Peter swallows his vocational pride and heeds the word of the master. Yet the Lord's commands may be strange to us sometimes, but they are not taxing. We may, we may, they may feel futile to us, but the Lord has his ways of reaping in the great harvest. God commanded Joshua to lead his men marching around Jericho for seven days. He commanded Gideon, trimming down a fighting force of 10,000 men to a mere 300 chosen warriors. The Lord sent Jonah to preach to Israel's worst enemies. 
Later on in the gospel narrative, Jesus will instruct Peter to cast a hook into the water, and the first fish he draws up inside his mouth would be a coin to pay the temple tax. The Lord's commands are not demanding. Whether they are liberating with surprising results, they reveal our hearts. This command tested Peter's faith, his loyalty, and Peter obeyed, though he did not fully understand, and it was against his own professional judgment. Thankfully, his brief complaint did not come across cynical or argumentative, but he demonstrates a heart willing to trust the teacher, to see what fruit obedience might yield. My sophomore year of college, I led a Bible study for freshman guys, and I was excited. I made lots of prep, and I did a thorough job of promoting my Bible study among this guys in this freshman dorm. And uh, looking forward to the first week, and on that opening occasion, nobody showed up. And apparently one guy had tried to come, but got the wrong place and had to follow up with him. And, and, and on it went, the, the whole fall was like that. I maybe had two or three guys, never consistent, always have to chase them down and trying to meet with them. And I think by the second semester, I had one faithful guy that I met with and poured into for a season. And that was very humbling for me. It, it was a humbling ministry where I, I did not see much fruit. So you can imagine the next year when my campus ministry director asked me to once again lead a freshman Bible study. I said, no way. You remember what happened last year? It was toilsome and, you know, like I was trying to dig in in hard, you know, concrete and didn't see much fruit. Besides, I was taking an 18-hour credit load with three labs. It was the busiest and the hardest semester of my college career. But my faithful campus director gently kept pressing, and I felt convicted, and I decided to trust the Lord and give it another try. Well, with a half-hearted effort, I passed out a few flyers and set a date to meet, and the very first week, seven guys showed up. And, and over the weeks that followed, I had more and more freshman young men meeting. I think we had about 10 guys meeting regularly, studying God's Word, connecting with each other and with the Scriptures. And I just saw God at work, bringing one of them to faith, uh, deepening several of these guys in their Christian faith, and each of them being prepared more and more for their Christian calling. We continue to meet into our senior year, and since then, two of those young men have gone into the ministry, four are medical doctors, one's an engineer, I forget where the other three have gone, but each of them have borne fruit in their own way. Looking back, I recognize I was deeply humbled. Humbled my sophomore year by my own powerlessness to yield the fruit that I desired. It was not the fruit that I was expecting. But I was even more humbled during my junior year to see how God used me in my weakness to yield the fruit, even when I was running on fumes, when, even when I was barely prepared and doing well just to show up for a Bible study meeting. The Lord brought forth fruit that I was not expecting. It's there that I learned to do ministry 
in the Lord's strength. And I'm not sure I'd be in ministry today had it not been for my faithful campus minister pressing and for choosing to lead a Bible study my junior year of college. You know, sometimes our toil seems in vain. We may find ourselves stuck in a dead-end job, in school with no end in sight, a dating relationship that seems to be going nowhere. Of course, sometimes we can change our circumstances, make a shift in direction, but other times we simply have to endure to trust God to bring about something good in a difficult situation. God has his purposes. In all of his commands, even if we can't understand them at the time, trusting that in time, God will bring about what he desires. Peter did what he was told. He let down those nets against his professional judgment. Of course, the crowds are watching. Jesus is watching. And would the water yield the catch after a wasted night's toil? Of course, the results were stunning. Their nets were filled to the brim to the breaking point. They had to call others from the other boat to come in and help them bring in the catch. They filled both boats to capacity. A beautiful vision of the Lord's desire to bring forth great fruit and a blessing to all nations. Every fisherman has a fish story. My father and I used to go fishing when I was a boy, and we used to joke that if we were fishermen by profession, our family would go hungry. We usually did not catch much, maybe one or two, and we'd have to go to the store to buy more fish to have a fish fry. But there was that one time when I was about 10. On July 4th, we were out fishing in the boat, and my cousin was along, and we were casting little George lures down into the deep, about 20, 30 feet near the bottom, and you reel slowly up looking for those white bass to bite. But off in the distance, we saw a flock of birds hovering over a portion of the water. And we saw a boat starting to gather and come near them, and we decided to investigate. And as we drew closer, it became clear that the white bass were schooling. So we joined the party. And we began to cast, and within a mere hour's time, we caught more than a dozen white bass, all keepers, two, three, four pounds each. We would have caught more, but we were at risk of tangling our lines, and there were only three fishing poles, and we were pretty slow getting the fish off the hooks. You can imagine we were arrive home, grinning ear to ear to show off our cats, like a cat with a mouse caught. Well, the fishermen and the crowds were even more astonished than my mother at this great catch of fish. The crowds were thinking, fish fry. But Peter's reaction is different. In response to Jesus' command and his own obedience at seeing the work of God, Peter's heart is exposed. Jesus caught Peter's attention. Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, is all Peter has to say to the Lord. He has awakened to the reality of his unworthiness of being in the presence of the Master. All of his doubts, his cynicism, his self-centeredness come up from the depths 
exposed in the light. Jesus has gone fishing. And Peter, the one who almost got away, is caught. With a hook in the mouth, still fighting and resisting, as though he cries out to Jesus, you don't want me. Throw me back. But Peter is exactly who Jesus wants. The Lord does not make mistakes. Several weeks ago, I was at the mosque downtown and talking with the imam, and he responded to something I said at a meeting back in the fall regarding the prophets. And the imam insisted that all the prophets of the Bible were holy, sinless men. And by his reasoning, you know, God would not entrust his holy word in the hands of sinners. I had the opportunity to explain that it's God who makes us holy. Even the prophets who were all sinful, flawed men, except one. Jesus was the one sinless, flawless, perfect prophet, and more than a prophet. And it's in this moment, Peter is humbled to realize that he has no business being in the presence of this righteous man. Later in the chapter, this theme will emerge when Jesus calls Levi, a tax collector, to be one of his 12 disciples. The Pharisees and the scribes grumble that Jesus would associate with tax collectors and sinners. In response, Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those who are satisfied in their own righteousness have no need of Jesus. But if you would become his disciple, it's required that you be a sinner, that you respond to the call of repentance, to embrace the only forgiveness that is available to sinners through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, to be cleansed and to be made acceptable in the presence of a holy God. We must recognize that you are a sinner without hope except in the saving grace of Jesus, should you be fit to follow the Lord. In Jesus' eyes, Peter was a keeper. Peter had eyes to see his own sin and to see Jesus as more than a prophet, not a mere magician or fine teacher. Jesus spoke commands with divine authority, and he demonstrated an uncommon compassion. Notice that Jesus pays no attention to Peter's insistence that he depart from him. This will not be the last time that Jesus ignores Peter's counsel. Instead, Jesus issues another command. Do not be afraid. The most common, frequent command in all of Scripture. Jesus can see right into Peter's insecure, fearful heart. We will see in the next three years of his ministry that Peter is an impetuous man. He suffers from the fear of man, which will climax when he disowns his Lord on, in the hour of crisis. Even still, Jesus sees potential in this fearful man. And that is encouraging to us. In Peter, there was nothing special. 
a common man. We learn later he was married. He was a hard worker, not that educated, at least not a teacher of the law in Israel. But he's a man who demonstrated humble faith and loyalty, and though Satan would sift him like wheat, Jesus prayed that he would turn and strengthen his brothers. Jesus wisely uses Peter's vocation to illustrate this call. From now on, you will be catching men. Peter's obedience and his humble response to the great catch make him worthy in Jesus' eyes to be one of the twelve. Our text closes with these simple words that, Paul, that Peter, James, and John simply left everything, their boats, their nets, their livelihood, and followed him. When Amy Carmichael heard Hudson Taylor speak, she felt God's call to the foreign mission field. Her first attempt to reach India failed, forcing her to stop in Japan and then return to Britain to restore her weakened health. But she eventually made her way to India and never returned, 55 years of service. In many ways, her work paved the way for modern-day rescue works of delivering people from human trafficking. Amy Carmichael dressed like local Indian women. She would take coffee beans and rub them over her skin to darken them to fit in and be less of an offense or less strange to them. She became like them to reach them as part of the great catch of God. Lottie Moon was a Southern Baptist missionary in China for 40 years. Initially, she was relegated to the classroom doing the women's work of teaching children while the men did the evangelism. But at age 45, she stepped away from the classroom and engaged in full-time evangelism. It is said that she brought hundreds of people to faith in Christ. Another great fish story. And I expect that we will hear many, many untold stories when we enter heavenly glory. To be a catcher of men, you must first be caught And this means more than catching a vision of a great cause, and certainly that's what this is. Jesus' mission is the greatest cause the earth has ever known. But you and us, you and I must be caught by God, caught up in the magnificence of his glory, consumed with the beauty of his holiness, gripped by the power of his grace enraptured with the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of his great love for us in Jesus Christ and to share the compassion of our Lord for lost sheep to see them safely home. Those who are caught are called to be witnesses wherever we live, work, and serve. Now, we're not all called to be foreign missionaries, Any more than all soldiers are called to be spies or to go on recon missions or even serve on the front lines. In World War II, the federal government called upon the citizens of this great nation to each do their part in the war effort, to work in factories, to contribute to recycling drives, to purchase war bonds, to send packages to troops overseas. To fishermen, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. What about people of other vocations? To firefighters, Jesus says, rescue souls from the coming wrath. To teachers, he says, teach the way, the truth, and the life. To bus drivers, 
deliver God's children safely home to realtors, help people find their true eternal home, to engineers and construction workers build a kingdom that lasts. To the financial advisors, the Lord might say, help people invest in what really lasts for all eternity. To wider writers, help tell the greatest story ever told. To salespeople and marketers, help people find what they really need. To purchase salvation without money and without price, at least no cost of our own, but the ultimate cost of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be a witness for Jesus requires simple obedience, simple humility. I'm convinced that the majority of people who have come to faith in Christ over the ages did not so, did not come to faith through the work of preachers or missionaries. Rather, most people came to faith through the witness of common, ordinary believers. Our text invites each of us to be part of the great catch, to take up the cross and follow the great fisherman himself, to take up our nets, to cast them, to not be afraid, remembering that he is with you and I always to the very end of the age, to not be caught up in this world, but be caught up in the power and the grace of the living God, the call of God. Is offered to each of us who would heed his commands and follow the Lord Jesus and join him in the great catch, the great fishing expedition of the ages. And we look forward to the great fish stories to tell in eternal glory. Let us pray. Our great God and Father, how good it is to know that you have come seeking us, that you have rescued us, that you deliver us and, and liberate us to be your ambassadors, to be your witnesses before a dying world. Lead us in the week to come that we may live as your representatives. And may Jesus Christ be glorified in us, we pray in his precious name. Amen.